now saying recording. That is so that we can use the audio. So Acts chapter four, verses 13 to 22. Luke writes, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with him, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and then they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. When they called them, when they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus, but Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So today, tonight, we're going to talk about courage. That's the title of this sermon, um, Courage. What does courage look like? Uh, it's our first Sunday in Lent, and I encourage all of you um, to do something, to engage in some practice as we prepare for Easter. And one of the things I've found, even today, is that as I've been thinking and preparing and, 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 and sort of praying about what we're going to talk about tonight. This idea of courage to me seems so important as we prepare for the coming of our Lord and Easter. Because last week, if you remember, we talked about strength, being made strong. And tonight, it's sort of a continuation of that story of this man being healed. And this is a continuation and the outpouring of when God makes us strong through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the benefits of being made strong, as we saw last week, is advocating for others. If you remember that, that's one of the things we talked about, that, that being made strong, we're able to lift others up who are weak. That we were able to show other people their strength in the Lord and how they were made in the very image of God. And it's also, it's also being courageous in the face of opposition, as we see with our story tonight. How the strength of the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we see here in Acts, gives us courage to face opposition. And so it's a continuation of Acts chapter 3, um, which we'll see very clearly. Uh, and if just as a reminder, let me give you a kind of a wrap up. <laughs> there was a guy who couldn't walk. And in the name of Jesus, they healed him and he walked. And people were amazed. And after preaching and drawing a large crowd, the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of these people were very concerned. And so this is our story tonight. In verses one to four, it reminds us that the priests, the Sadducees, the temple guard, all of these officials are really not happy with what's happening because of these teachings about Jesus. Because these men continue to talk about this guy, Jesus. And so they arrest him and put him in jail. It's evening. Let's put him in jail. We'll deal with this tomorrow. Um, but scripture tells us in the first four verses of Acts 4 that their numbers were growing. 
their numbers were growing like crazy. After Pentecost, it says their numbers were about 3,000. And now, seemingly just a few days later, maybe a couple of weeks later, but they're up to 2,000 people. Up to 5,000 people now believing in Jesus because of the testimonies of these disciples and how the followers were living. And then the story continues in verses 5, 6, and 7 to tell us the next day, all of these rulers, the Sadducees and Pharisees and the temple guards, they got together to figure out, hey, what do we do here? (laughs) This is clearly causing a problem with our way of life. How do we proceed? And, And what's interesting, if you go back to the crucifixion story, you're going to recognize a lot of these names. You're going to recognize Annas and, and, and Caiaphas and these leaders, right? These were the people who arrested and condemned Jesus before they handed him over to, to Pilate. In fact, they were in Caiaphas's house, the, the, the courts of his house, um, when they accused him the first time and brought him in and arrested him. And these same people probably thought just a few months ago, hey, we got this whole thing sort of buttoned up. We got it figured out, right? If, if we kill this guy, Jesus, if we get rid of this sort of rebel, this person teaching and leading people away from our teachings, if we can do this, it'll be fine. But now they're no doubt annoyed, frustrated, that this message continues to be preached. And in fact, I would say it's, be, it's spreading more and more than when Jesus was around. And there's more and more converts, as we see here by these numbers. And so they ask Peter and John, by what power do you do this? Like, whose name? What's going on? How are you doing these things? And what's amazing is this is the same thing they ask Jesus. In Luke chapter 20, they gather and go to Jesus and sort of say to Jesus, hey, how are you doing these things, Jesus? Trying to figure out what he was up to. And it's a great story, by the way, in Luke 20, where Jesus sort of flips it around on them. But you can read that another time. But now they're asking the disciples, they're asking Peter and John. We see the miracle, right? Everyone can see the miracle. Scripture tells us you're standing right there with this guy. But by what power are you doing this? Another way to sort of ask this question is like, it'd be like if they came up to Jesus and says, hey, or came up to Peter and John and said, hey, we see that you just miraculously, this guy's healed. And that's great, by the way. But do you have a permit for this, right? Like, do you have a permit to be healing people in the temple courts? You know, I remember once handing out water bottles on a hot day with some friends just to, to be kind. We lived in a warm area and we were handing out ice cold water bottles to people just to be kind and hope they have a nice day and everything. And we actually got shut down by the police because we didn't have a permit to be handing out water. And, and it just like reminded me of that. It'd be, it's such a silly question, but they go to Peter and John and they say, why, how are you doing this? Right? Like, well, what's the deal here? And so then in verse 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, Peter, who has by now become quite bold, we see, since Acts chapter 2, he's become quite the, the teacher. He sort of takes every opportunity to preach Christ, preaches a wonderful little mini sermon here, and sort of says, why are we're being called out? We're being put in jail for an act of kindness, he says. He says, okay, you know what? Fine. You want to know by what power we do this? You remember that guy, Jesus, you killed? You remember that guy you rejected? You you remember that guy? (laughs) Yeah. And then he goes on to quote Psalm 118. One that all of these Pharisees, Sadducees, Jewish rulers would know. Says the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. You remember that guy? Yeah. That's how we're doing it. 
Salvation, he says, is given by no other name. And what we have to understand now in our context is we sort of think, yeah, of course, we believe Jesus, salvation, great. But 2,000 years ago, this was a really big statement. Because to the Jews, salvation was only from God. And so what they are preaching in the face of these people who a few months earlier killed Jesus, what they're saying to them is that Jesus was God. That guy you killed, he rose from the dead. He was who he said he was, and he was not just a prophet. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a moral authority. He is not just a guy we followed around for three years, and then he died, and now we feel bad about it, so we're going to keep preaching his message. No, they are saying to all of the Jewish authorities and rulers by this statement in verse 12 that Jesus was God. This is a big statement. And in verse 13 and 14, we see their reaction. What could they say to this? <laughs> you know, what, what, how are we going to respond to this? What's our, how do, what do we do with this? And if you remember back when Jesus was teaching his disciples, we talked about this. He told them back, back then when they figured out that he was a son of God or that he was God, he said, don't tell anyone yet. But now we know now the time has come. And so they are preaching this without shame. They are preaching this without fear. And the leaders, it says, were astonished at these men. Here these disciples are speaking out through the power of the Spirit, being courageous in the face of what could happen to them. They just saw Jesus go through this. And the leaders, it says, were astonished because these were unschooled fishermen. But they took note, Scripture tells us, that they had been with Jesus. They had no formal rabbinic training, but they had been with Jesus. And there is a distinction. The people who had been with Jesus, the people who were empowered or emboldened by the Holy Spirit were all acting this way. They were all standing up for these truths they believed in. And in verse 15, 16, and 17, Acts tells us that they, these leaders didn't know what to do. Everyone sees the sign. Everyone sees this man healed. We don't want this teaching to continue because it seems contradictory to what we're teaching. But so what are we going to do? How do we stop these guys? And so they call them back in and they say, hey, uh, disciples, listen up. Peter, John, you and all your followers, listen up. You need to stop it. Right? We get it. You healed the guy. That's great. But you don't have a permit. You need to stop. <laughs> and what's their response? It's actually pretty great. Kind of clever, right? Say. Put yourself in our shoes. All right, put yourself in our shoes. Who would you listen to? You people or God? So just so you know, we're probably not going to stop. We cannot help. Look at verse 20. It is so good. Look at verse 20. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Not even just we're going to choose, not, not even just, hey, who are you going to listen to, you know, you people or God. No, no, no. We can't help it. Remember back in Acts chapter 1 when we talked about witnesses, how we are all called to be witnesses to the things we have seen in Jesus Christ? This is what they are living out. They are witnessing what they know to be true. And it says they couldn't punish them. They were afraid of the crowds. Like I said, Jesus maybe at his peak had a few hundred, maybe a thousand followers. 
Now there are 5,000 followers of Jesus in the area. It's growing. The disciples are getting bold and they're getting courageous. And this story ends with the teachers of the law and the religious leaders having no idea what to do with these people. They don't have a permit, but they're not stopping. And when I read this passage, that's this word courageous or courage is the word I thought of. And when I think about us, what does courage mean for us today? For you and for me as modern Christians, what is courage? Because here's what we're faced with. When I read this passage, this is how I interpret it. And so I pass it on to you. That if we believe the same thing Peter preached just then, right? That Jesus was the stone that the builders rejected, that he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament law and the prophets, that he was the son of God, that Jesus is God and salvation is from him alone. If we believe these things, what we call Christian orthodoxy, right? What we all understand to be true, what it is to be a Christian, then that means that we are called to also be courageous. And as I mentioned before, I'm going to say it again and then talk about these two things right now. I see this as two things. I can, we can make it simple. There's two things we have to do to be courageous. And that's we need to stand up for others and we need to stand up for the truth that we have found. I think if we, do, if we can do those two things, the world will see us as the Pharisees saw these apostles and being courageous. So first, standing up for other people. What does that look like? I mentioned this last week, and I'm going to keep building on it because we're going to see it all the way in Acts. Standing up for others is being courageous. Standing up for others is, is creating unity, not by excluding people, not by thinking we're better than anyone else, not by holding anyone down, but in fact, lifting everyone up to the same level. And that takes courage because this has come up a lot in recent years, folks. And I'm going to bring up a few things. To remind us of this. You know, it's amazing how short our memories become sometimes. We, 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 we have these really short memories where we sort of forget the news and major events that just happened six months ago, a year ago, whatever, you know. You remember a couple of years ago how big the Me Too movement was? The big Me Too movement about women speaking out about sexual harassment, misconduct, especially in the workplace, about our sisters in Christ seeking a voice in a system that tried to take their voice away. Standing up for things like that, that is courage. Think of the discussions happening around the world today. In Europe, America, Australia, Japan, India. Think of these conversations that are happening around the world today, around race and around ethnicity and around gender, people seeking equality, people seeking to be lifted up just to an even playing field in life. These conversations, for us to work towards these things, requires courage to know that in the Lord, because of who the Lord is and because of who Jesus Christ was, that we stand for one another. And people in recent years are finding courage to stand up for these systems that, or stand against rather, to stand against these systems that hold people down. It's happening around the world. And we as the church are no exception. In fact, I would argue that we should be the ones leading the charge. 
I would argue that as Christians, if we believe Jesus was who he said he was, like we talked about, what Peter just said, that salvation comes through no other name but Jesus Christ, if we believe these things, then we should be out there courageously leading the charge in issues of lifting up others to the things we have found. (laughs) When you look at scripture, some people will say, well, this is just people giving into news stories. This is just people going with the winds of society. And No. If you read scripture, I would argue that this has been God's intention all along. That his children bring people together under his love, under his generosity, under his grace. That our job as children of the living God has always been to seek unity, to seek togetherness, to seek renewal of people from around the world. And so, church, what does it mean to be courageous? You and I need to stand up for what's right. You and I as Christians, when we see a system in place in the world, when we see other people acting in a way that holds others down or lifts up one group ahead of another group of people, we need to do something. We need to say something. We need to be courageous and speak up. We need to know that we have the power to stand up for other people, that we have the courage through the power of the Holy Spirit to know that the will of God is that all people be lifted up. So that's the first thing, church. We need to know that to be courageous is to stand for other people. And we also need to know that to be courageous is to stand when people oppose the name of Jesus. Think about Peter and John here in this situation. They could have backed off. They could have stood down. They could have not pushed and just sort of said, you know, hey, we saw what you did to Jesus. <laughs> um, that whole crucifixion thing looked really uncomfortable. Uh, we're just going to lay low for a while. We're not going to do the preaching thing. We're not going to go preaching in the temple courts. We're just going to kind of back off. They could have done that. But they didn't. It's human nature when we're faced with these things to sort of just back off. It's human nature when, we, when we're faced with these sort of things to just sort of opt out and say, yeah, yeah, I understand. I understand. Okay, fine, fine, fine. And just sort of get really quiet. <clears throat> but I'm going to challenge you guys to something that I've been really challenged with recently. We can't do this anymore as the church. We, we, we just can't. You know, whether you're in Europe, America, whatever, we always look back at historical things and we say, where was the church when this happened? History is being made in the present. Someone is going to look back at our generation and say, why didn't the church do something about blank? Why didn't the church do something about this? Why didn't the church stand up for this? And and, and let me just say, we may not deny Jesus. But, but you know what? Sometimes not speaking up for Jesus is the same thing as denying him. Either with other people or with speaking the truth we have found. Let me just put this in context of what I'm talking about and what I'm learning. You know, more and more recently, it seems like in recent years, we have seen major Christian leaders fail. 
Most recently, if anyone is a follower of Ravi Zacharias and Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, he passed away last year. He's a great apologist, traveled the world defending the Christian faith, wrote great books, and it's come out in recent years, both before and after his death, that he was doing some bad things, really bad things, manipulating, abusing people, etc. And, 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 and we wonder, like, how does this happen? How did it get to this point? I'll tell you how it happened. Christian people in and around his life never did anything, never said anything, never stood up for what is right. And then this thing falls apart and we all wonder, well, how could that happen? Church, we all have the opportunity and the chance to be courageous in little things, whether it be to stand up for the truth we have found or to stand up for other people. And we always look to big examples, like I said, and wonder, how could that happen? And we all think, well, surely if I was in that position, if I had the chance to say something, I would say something. Surely if, if I was a major you know, Christian leader in charge of a huge international ministry, I would have said or done something differently. But you know what? We may not be in the shoes of these great leaders. We may not be like Peter and John standing before the Sanhedrin trying to defend the name of Jesus Christ. You may not be on the board of a major Christian organization, but each and every one of us has the chance to be courageous in our own sphere. In our own lives, we each have the opportunity each and every day to be courageous and stand for others and to stand for Christ. We have the power to stop things like gossip and conversations about other people or people groups or about other ethnicities that we would never say if they were present. We have, the com we have the power to stop friends and loved ones and other Christians from saying these things and to say, no, we shouldn't talk like that. No, we shouldn't make fun of that thing. No, we shouldn't gossip about that. We have the choice, each one of us, every single day to stand up for what is right. And, and so when we see people fail, when we see people lack courage, we wonder, how could they do this? Church, it's the same thing we all struggle with. When a major leader falls and fails, it's not because they just had a fluke thing that just happened one time. It's because throughout their lives, they have been cutting little corners, making these decisions over and over and over and over again until it just got so big that everyone found out. See, being courageous is doing the little things, making it habitual that in your life, your pattern is standing up for other people so that when you are on a board of a company or you are on the board of a church or you are a person of influence, it's not something new you're faced with, you don't know how to face. It's something that you have made part of your very life. And so we do the little things each and every day. We choose to be courageous each and every day and stand for the truth of scripture and stand for the image of God and other people each and every day. We can do this. You and I, I read it right here in scripture. We have the same Holy Spirit. And as I sit here and say this, some of you even now might be doubting your courage. Some of you even now might be doubting that you could do this. You look at your life. You see areas where you have failed in the past. You see areas where you haven't done this and you wonder, could I do this? I confess, even me, 
when I think about these things and challenge us all together, I feel guilty because I know I haven't done these things. But that's okay. You remember Peter? You remember this guy standing up we just read about? Go back to the end of the book of Luke. He had a pretty catastrophic failure the night Christ was arrested, didn't he? He had a real big failure the night he was arrested. This guy who Jesus said, you are my rock, Peter. On you, I'm going to build my church. Basically failed in one of the biggest ways possible. Denied him three times. But here he is. Restored. Here Peter is in Acts chapter 4, just a couple of months later, totally restored, standing for the weak, standing for those who didn't have a voice, and preaching, as he said in verse 20, I cannot help speaking about what I have seen and I have heard, about the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. And he knows it because he's felt it and he's experienced it in his own life. Church, that's why I love the progression here. And that's why I've been going so slow through this first couple of chapters of Acts. When we are forgiven our sins in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are reconciled to God. And then Acts chapter 1, we are made witnesses to that reconciliation. And then Acts chapter 2, we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. We are made strong through the power of the Holy Spirit to stand up for what is right. And then... And then we go out into the world and we stand up for other people who cannot stand for themselves. And we stand up for the truth of the gospel when other people would seek to keep us quiet. And if you ever doubt yourself, just look at Peter, one of the ultimate catastrophic failures who rejected Jesus three times the night he was arrested. And here Peter is setting the example for you and for I to be restored to a strength in the Lord, to be able to lift up our brothers and sisters who have been marginalized and to a stand for the truth that we have found, to be unequivocal in how we live our lives and to make choices each and every day that lead other people to the truth we have found. Whether it's standing for others, whether it's in the face of opposition, it doesn't matter. We can do this. And if we needed any other proof, let us just remember that not one of us has been called to do this alone. That we have one another, that we have the very body of Christ. We have the body of believers in and around us to support us when we feel weak. Church, we can do this. We can live this life well. We can stand for Jesus. We can indeed be courageous. He has given us all we need. So let us be people who rest and trust in these promises as we go out into the world to stand for others and stand for the gospel. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for Peter. God, thank you for the truth we have all found. Thank you for reconciling us, for calling us home, for restoring us. And then, as if that weren't enough, Lord, for giving us the power of the Holy Spirit to make us strong and courageous to stand for those who cannot stand and to stand for the truth of your world, of your word in a world that seems to reject it. Lord, give us the power to live this way through the power of the spirit each and every day. Amen. Amen. I want to invite all of us to respond now um, by singing together. So let's take the time now to hear this song and respond to what God's doing in our lives.